Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You may not always like his opinion, but you can bet he'll have one. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. So the mayor of Montreal, Monsieur Denis Coderre, the mayor of Montreal, Monsieur Denis Coderre, has uh, passed a bylaw which will ban pit bull dogs, although Denny doesn't know what a pit bull dog is. Very hard to identify them. And we know that the dog that was involved in that tragic accident, or not accident, it was a the dog that attacked and killed a woman in Montreal in June. We know it wasn't a pit bull. So the breed-specific legislation issue is uh, in the news again, and we're going to be talking about that in the next hour. There was a lot of response, tremendous amount of response, when I tweeted earlier in the week about this, and we're going to be speaking with the um, executive director of the Humane Society internationally for Canada. She's in Montreal. She'll be joining us. And we'll take your calls. We'll have a little time on Donald Trump. I wasn't going to talk about him today. But then there were developments overnight. And uh, so we will later on in the show. And birth tourism. Have you heard of birth tourism? It's a big issue in British Columbia. It's been written about, talked about. We're going to be speaking with a BC woman who has taken the fight against birth tourism um, to the forefront. Been reported on by a major British Columbia media. And she has a a national poll, a poll for the federal government, and there's enough people, not a poll, a petition, enough people have signed the petition that uh, it's going to be presented to Parliament. So she'll be joining us. And um, Alison Azer, Azer is going to be back. Alison's kids are still in Iran. Prime Minister of Canada, as you know, promised that he would do everything he can in, uh, in person, promised to Alison that he would do whatever he could to get her children back. He's had opportunities, and you heard Allison say the federal government actually got in the way of getting her kids back instead of helping them come back, Canadian children. So the Prime Minister is um, credited with having assisted with bringing back to Canada a university professor who was Canadian-Iranian. So well done for that, Justin Trudeau, but time for you to get on to helping Allison Azar get her Canadian kids back. There's no dual duality of citizenship involved. He's known to Canada, we're going to begin with this, he's known to Canada as Bernard the Roughneck. He's 32 years of age. Long-haired Alberta oil rig Roughneck who spoke to parliamentarians and he made national headlines about how lives are being ruined and dreams are being shattered in Alberta as the oil patch doesn't necessarily dry up but it's not what it used to be, and it's not what it could be, and it's not what it should be. There is opportunity, and it's not being maximized. And one of the issues, well, here we go with Denny Coderre again. He's, a, he's part of it, because the Montreal mayor, as you know, uh, said no, N-O-N, to the Energy East pipeline going through Montreal. And I have all his reasons why. I have them right in front of me, and I'll share them with you shortly. 
I, I tweeted again to the to the uh, to the Montreal mayor who follows me on Twitter, and I follow him. We've known each other for twenty years. Come on the show. I won't even interrupt you. But nothing back from Denny Coderre. Bernard Hopkins, Bernard the Roughneck, joins me on uh, the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Bernard, good to talk to you. We spent an hour uh, the other night off uh, off the air just talking, and I suggested to you that you should get into politics, and I think you should. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh no. You, you you make some you know I make excellent points and you're doing what you're doing because you're representing the people you work with who maybe can't in your words express themselves in the manner that you will but you see how lives are being ruined how how hopes and dreams are being shattered by what's going on in the oil patch so let's start with that what did you tell parliamentarians what do you want to tell Canadians what would you like to tell Danny Kader? Well, first off, I should uh, correct you. My last name is Hancock. H-A-S-T-K. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I've no got problem. it right in front of me. Uh, but uh, what would I say to Canadians? Yeah. Um, I'd just say that um, this is these are issues that affect uh, this whole country and people from across the country. And I think that, um, you know, uh, our prime minister, when he got into office, he said, and I quote, when open data and evidence-based policy are at the heart of policymaking and government's decisions, you get the kind of government Canadians expect and deserve. And so regarding the issue of energy and pipelines in Canada, I hope that's um, the tack that uh, our federal government's going to be taking going forward. And what would I say to Mr. Coderre? Um, well, I, you know, I, I followed him for a long time and I pay attention to his political career and I see him as somewhat of a populist. Like he's always going around in Montreal Canadiens jerseys, and I've seen photo ops where he puts on a hard hat and runs a jackhammer. And I kind of feel that his opposition to Energy East is based on appealing to certain voter cleavages and doing what's best for his own political fortunes. Because I wonder how someone who says that he cares so much about the environment signed off on dumping 8 billion litres of raw sewage into the St. Lawrence. Um, You know, and not only that, but there's tankers as it stands coming down the St. Lawrence with imported oil threatening those waterways. And, you know, I don't think Energy East will cancel those contracts with oil producers from overseas, but it'll go a long way to making Quebec um, more dependent on Canadian oil. And as it stands, the pipeline currently in existence, it travels from Portland, Maine to Montreal. It's 65 years old, feeds three refineries in Montreal that produce 387,000 barrels a day. Um, Why would you want this 65-year-old pipeline running through numerous protected waterways when you could have a brand new pipeline that has all the best of uh, safety and environmental regulations and monitoring. This this is why I'd love to have Mr. Guterre join us on the air and, and defend the positions. And I'm going to read everything that he said about uh, why he doesn't want energy east after I finish speaking with you, Bernard. You, you told Parliament, quote, Albertans are hurting and feeling like they've had people turn their backs on them. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on with the people you work with, how their lives have changed since the oil patch has run into the difficulties that it's now encountering. Well, people are doing what they can to get by. Um, and Alberta, it's a very interesting political culture. Uh, the people who originally settled Alberta were mainly American homesteaders, the original homesteaders, and third-wave Eastern Euro- European immigrants. And these are people that are the salt of the earth, the say the least. They're people that um, are dependent on community and friends and neighbors, and they don't want charity. They don't want a handout. Um, I mean, if you look at Albertans, per capita, our province gives the most in terms of both time and money 
to charity amongst any province in Canada. And so, you know, um, Albertans, I don't think they want charity or a handout. They simply want government to enable a strong and robust economy that gives people jobs. And you talk about, okay, how, how have people I know have been affected? Well, there's people, there's a guy I know who can't put his kids in hockey this past year, simply couldn't afford it. I've known people who've had to go to the bank with the keys to their homes. Um, repo trucks are driving around pretty heavy. Um, I was down in Brooks, Alberta, down south there, and things are getting really bad. There's a lot of business closures, and every block you drive down, there's at least one for sale sign. Um, and people are doing what they can, but it's difficult for guys in the patch because when people see on your resume that you worked oil field, they know when things pick up, you got to go back to those high-paying jobs. So it's like it almost disqualifies you from these jobs. And it's really difficult, I feel, because um, Canadian, Albertans and Canadians in general, because Alberta is a province of immigrants from across Canada, we're crying out for help here, and it seems like our cries are falling on deaf ears. Opponents of the oil sands continue to shout about dirty oil. We've all heard that, including Canadian politicians. You've addressed that, and you've pointed out that the oil sands oil is the most carbon emission-friendly source of oil on the planet, and it's still being stifled. You're asking for environmentalists, if I understand correctly, environmentalists who constantly shout down the oil sands to actually meet with people who work there and engage in open-minded conversation. Any response to that? Or make the case. Well... I want to correct you there. The oil sands oil, it's not the most environmentally friendly source of oil, but it's nowhere near what the opponents of the oil sands are labeling it as. Uh, the world's most carbon-intensive oil is actually from Bakersfield, California, the very heavy blend crude. And if you look at um, from production to downstream, the most carbon-intensive oil in the world is actually from Nigeria. But regardless, um, you've got to look at it uh, from all factors. And this is an ethical source of oil. Um, our OH&S regulations, you know, occupational health and safety, it's the best in this world leading. Um, the environmental re- remediation going on in the oil sands is, once again, some of the world's best and goes far above and beyond what oil companies are normally expected to do in other jurisdictions. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you listen to people talk about the oil sands, and there's so much misinformation going on. Like, you know, you have a, a doctor that was just. Dis- uh, lost his license from the Canadian Medical Association because green groups were paying him to spread lies that the oil sands were causing cancer in Fort Ship. Or you have these, you have people calling the oil sands mortar and talking, showing big pictures of open pit mining when really most oil sands operations these days are SAG-D, that's steam-assisted gravity drainage. So um, it's, it's about having an open and honest conversation with Canadians. And I was actually reading an article from a guy named Tony Colson, who's from Enveronics, which is a very well-known and respected polling firm. And they looked at, they polled Canadians on what they thought about the oil sands. And only two out of ten Canadians hold strong opinions on this issue. But these are the only groups of people that are getting the message out there about it. And I think it leaves the majority of Canadians who are either conditional opponents or conditional supporters, it leaves them without kind of a, a base to go from to to form an educated opinion about the issue. Um, if, you know, I, I want to reach out to people who are undecided because, yeah, I can talk to the cheerleaders for the oil and gas industry, but they already agree with me. And I can talk to the people who are the echo radicals and they will never listen to anything that I have to say. So I think um, if we want to represent the interests of the majority of Canadians, we have to reach out to the majority of Canadians who haven't formed opinions and engage them on the issues 
that they're talking about. And um, the number one issue this polling firm realized was that people care about monitoring and enforcement for spills and leaks. That's their top concern. That's followed by the protection of health and safety and the environment. So, yes, the economy is an important issue, but the people who are undecided are worried about how this is going to be managed and how it's going to be built. And they want more information, but they're not getting it. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to talk about, like, the ways that these pipelines are going to be safe, uh, specifically addressing Energy East Pipeline, because I want to, you know, address the concerns that Mayor Coderre raises, although I, I question the motivations behind them. They're important issues to come up with responses to. Well, this is something that I, I'm going to keep calling on you to join me on the air because I really do well, think awesome. you, you, have a, you have a strong message. You know what you're talking about. You're willing to discuss the issue with those who don't see eye to eye with you. And I really think you should get into a, a, some sort of political activity and, 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 a, and a serious level going forward. I'll see if I can convince you to do that. By the way, some media have described you as a professional actor, that you're not really an oil patch roughneck, but you're a guy who makes YouTube videos, and the BBC, which is strongly anti-oil sands, I think described you as the what was it, the Canadian version of Joe the Plumber from a, a fairly recent U.S. federal election? Well, yes, but I read that BBC article, and they included nothing really of substance about what we talked about. And one thing that really bothered me about that article is it talked about high-paying wages for low-skilled jobs. And, you know, if you're talking about someone who's, like, say, a ditch digger or just a laborer in a construction site, I can, un- or, you know, I can understand that would be considered a low-skilled job. But a roughneck, or that's the bottom of the barrel in the oil and gas industry. And, I mean, going up from there, this is an industry that employs very intelligent people, and there's this stereotype about us that we're a bunch of dumb, uneducated rednecks with jacked-up trucks, and that could not be further from the truth. My friend like Bernard, right now, my rough, my roughneck I'm working with, Clive. He's from Zimbabwe. He immigrated to Canada as a, te- as a teenager, and he's moved from Barrie, Ontario, because he couldn't find enough work doing drywall, and it wasn't paying him well enough. Um, but uh, that article, just to say that what we do is low-skilled work, like, I'd really like, and then to just assume that a journalist is what, and other people like that are, who are the educated and the better informed to make these decisions, that's insulting. And, you know, it, it shows, it displays quite a pronounced antipathy towards the working class and the laboring man, because, you know, uh, we don't just work with the sweat coming off our brow, we work with what's under our hard hats. And I'd really like to see that journalist unset a packer at 2,700 meters or calculate uh, flow rates when they're pumping down hole. Bernard, (laughs) low-skilled work. We'll have to talk another time. I really enjoy the conversation. I enjoyed the conversation off the air and the conversation on the air today. I'm going to try to make some, I'm going to try to make a debate happen between you and somebody on the other side of the issue. So Bernard Hancock, my apologies, I don't know where I got Hopkins from. Bernard hey, I Hancock. really appreciate you having me on. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you again. Good to talk to you, and uh, good to be able to reach out there to your listeners across Canada. You got it. Bernard Hancock, Bernard the Roughneck. And um, he's not a professional actor, as some have suggested. He is what well, he says he is. He's a hard-working guy in the oil patch. We'll take a break and come back.